You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Revelation. Here's Nate. Revelation chapter 12 today, and of course in setting up this particular chapter, I've got to mention that the book of Revelation is the only book that comes with its own special divine outline. Chapter 1 verse 19 Jesus told John to write the things which he had seen. That's chapter 1. The things which are. That's chapter 2 and 3. The seven letters from Jesus to the seven churches of Asia Minor that were in existence at the time of John. And number 3. Write the things which will take place after this. And in chapter 4 verse 1 we see... The phrase, after this, repeated twice, as John is called up to heaven to see the throne room of God and then see the scroll that has seven seals upon it and that Jesus is the one that is found worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And immediately as he begins loosing the seals, we see great difficulty come upon the earth during this seven-year period of time. The Antichrist is revealed in the first seal. The military, his military, uh, grows in the second seal. The economy is struck in the third seal. And death comes as a result in the fourth seal. The martyrs, those who have lost their lives, are encouraged to wait a little longer in the fifth seal. And in the sixth seal, there is worldwide cataclysmic disaster. As there is an earthquake, the sun becomes black, and the moon becomes like blood. And then in Revelation chapter 7, we see 144,000 Jewish super witnesses who preach the gospel and a great multitude is saved. During the middle of all of this chaos, there will be a, in part, response, huge response to the message of the gospel. And then the seventh seal is loosed by Christ. There is silence in heaven for a period of about half an hour because of the ominous tone and, and the reality that inside of the seventh seal there are seven trumpets and in the seventh trumpet there are seven bowls. Seven trumpets begin to be blasted. Trumpet number one in chapter eight, uh, the vegetation is struck. Trumpet number two, the sea is struck. Trumpet number three, the fresh water supply is heard. Trumpet number four, the heavens, the sky, the universe is uh, struck. And in the fifth and sixth trumpet in Revelation chapter 9, it seems that the demonic realm is unleashed upon the earth in a powerful, ugly, and horrible way, so much so that people desire death but will not find it. But at the same time, no one repents of their sin, their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immoralities, or their thefts uh, go unconfessed and unrepented of. John then, in Revelation 10, receives a vision of an angel who encourages him that the mystery of God will be fulfilled shortly, gives him a scroll and tells him to eat it. It is sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach, much like the book of Revelation, sweet yet bitter at the very same time. And John is told to continue prophesying. In chapter 11, he speaks of these two Jewish witnesses that... Uh, proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem, are killed by the Antichrist. Their death is celebrated, but three and a half days later, their bodies are filled with the breath of life from God. 
They rise from the dead and ascend to God, accepted by the Lord. And the seventh trumpet is blasted at the end of chapter 11. And the people, the elders, begin to sing to God in heaven because the day of his reign is coming. And so before we see uh, many of the results of this seventh trumpet blast, and before we see the seven bowls that are inside of the seventh trumpet, uh, John has a few things that he needs to record. And so Revelation chapter 12, 13, and 14 are a bit of a parenthesis. It's not until chapter 15 that we're going to discover the seven bowls that were inside of that seventh trumpet blast. And so here in Revelation 12, we're going to see the nation of Israel. We're going to see the devil. We're going to see the spiritual and heavenly view of what is occurring during these final three and a half years. In Revelation 13 and 14, we're going to see the earthly view of what takes place during uh, these years. And so in one sense, we're going to see the entire tribulation period laid out for us in these next three chapters. But today, Revelation chapter 12. It says in verse 1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, uh, he starts out this chapter, or this section really, these three chapters, by saying, A great sign appeared in heaven. A great sign. And in these three chapters, there will be seven moments where John sees a sign. In other words, he's going to see something that actually represents something else. And uh, the first thing that he sees here is this woman. He'll see a dragon. He'll see a man-child. He'll see a beast rising from the sea. He'll see a beast coming from the earth. And he'll see a lamb. He'll see all of these signs or symbols in these chapters. But the first sign that he sees is... Uh, a woman clothed with the sun. All right, so this woman, obviously, is a sign. It's not an actual woman. And so the question is, what is this woman a sign of? Well, notice that she's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. It seems to me, using scripture to interpret scripture, that this woman would be none other than the nation of Israel. You might remember back in the book of Genesis, which is very helpful to understanding the book of Revelation, in chapter 37, that Joseph, as a young man, a teenager, received a vision concerning the future of the nation, that the sons of Israel would bow down before him. And uh, as he received that vision, he saw the sun, he saw the moon, he saw the stars, and they were, these were representative of his brothers and of his mother and of his father, who would eventually comprise of the nation of Israel. And this is consistent throughout the book of Revelation because what we see in the book of Revelation is that oftentimes women represent religious systems. Uh, you have Jezebel in Revelation 2. Uh, you have the great harlot that we'll see in Revelation 17. And then you have the bride of Christ, the church, 
in Revelation chapter 19. And so here it seems that you've got the nation of Israel, God's people, the people of Israel. Like I said, this is the time of Jacob's trouble. God is dealing and looking at the nation of Israel. And, and as well, in the Old Testament, there are many passages that represent Israel as a woman. Isaiah 54, Jeremiah chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 16. And so this appears to me to, to be an obvious reference or sign concerning uh, the nation of Israel. It says in verse 2 that she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Okay, so now this would cause us to, of course, remember the birth of the Messiah when Jesus was born. And you remember that it was a painful thing. There was Roman occupation and oppression, the uh, census that was required. Uh, then Herod's mandate to slaughter the children in Bethlehem two years of age and younger. It was a painful thing for the nation of Israel to birth the Messiah, not just in that era, but throughout all of their history. And so for, for this woman to be with child, I think as we'll see, this is an obvious reference to Christ, but let's follow it out to see it in its clarity. And another sign, verse 3, appeared in heaven. Behold, a, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems or seven crowns. And so uh, the next thing that she sees, the next sign is this great red dragon. Again, it's in heaven. All right. So she's seeing a heavenly vision. All right. These are symbols from the heavenly perspective. All right. You might not see these things on earth. You might not have this perspective on earth, but from the heavenly perspective, she sees this great red dragon. Now, this is the first time that the word dragon is used in the Bible. Literally, it means a fabulous kind of serpent. And uh, it says in chapter 12, verse 9, that the devil and Satan is called the deceiver of the whole world, and he is called the ancient serpent. So it seems that there's a connection here. The dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan, they are one and the same. And this dragon has seven heads and Ten horns. Now, when we get to Revelation 17, uh, we'll see an interpretation of what these seven heads and what these ten horns are, so we don't need to speculate uh, too much at this point. But in Daniel chapter 7, we discover that these heads uh, are symbolic, and in chapter 17 of Revelation, of seven kings, and the ten horns are symbolic of ten kings who will receive a short-term uh, sense of power with the Antichrist and eventually war against Jesus. And so I think what we're seeing here with the seven heads and ten horns on the red dragon is the reality that Satan has a grip upon the world leaders at the time of the book of Revelation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. His tail, verse 4, swept down a third of the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So again, this is uh, from the heavenly perspective, sort of a flow of really more than just this final seven-year period, but really much of redemptive history 
in general, going back quite a ways. That's why when you see there in verse 4, that his tail drew a third of the stars. Now that word stars can be translated also as angels. And of course, angels are often at times referred to as, you know, the glory of the heavens, the stars. And so there are many who would say uh, that this is a possible indication that when Satan was lifted up with pride inside of his heart, we know from Ezekiel 28 that he was a leader. He was the anointed cherub that covers in the angelic realm. He was a good being, a worshiper of God. But in Isaiah 14, it tells us that he was lifted up because of his pride and he fell. And it appears perhaps in comparing with Revelation 12, 4, as we just read, the, the third of the stars or the third of the angels that he drew down from heaven. It's very possible that when Satan fell because of the pride in his heart, it's very possible that he took one third of the angelic realm with him and they became uh, fallen angels, disembodied spirits, the demonic realm. And so personally, I hold that view, but it would be based on this particular verse alone that he drew a third of the stars. So we'll discover someday if that's the reality. But you notice that this dragon, the devil, stood before verse four, the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. I think in one sense, this really is a description of the Old Testament. Because as you read the Old Testament, what you're discovering is time and time again, the promised line is in danger. Whether it's as simple as uh, the evil and the corruption that came upon the world in the times of Noah, where everyone died except for this man, Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Satan had almost snuffed out that promised line. Or, or whether it was Cain murdering his brother Abel and Satan had almost at that point snuffed out the promise that the seed of Eve would crush the head of Satan. Or whether it was later in the life of Abraham, a myriad of times when he takes Hagar to be his wife and to have a child with her. Or when he goes down to Egypt or uh, off into uh, Abimelech's territory and tells these kings, the Pharaoh or Abimelech, that Sarah was only his sister and they tried to marry her. There are all these different moments, these moments in the history of the nation of Israel, uh, after the time of David even, where the, the line of David gets down to even just one man. And if that one man dies, then it's all over. And you see this time and time again. And so really, this is a description of the Old Testament. That he was standing ready to devour the child that would be born from the nation of Israel. And of course, when Jesus was born, King Herod was used in an evil way to attempt to devour the Messiah. And so in verse 5, it says that she gave birth to a male child. Now, I had told you that she was pregnant, birth pains, uh, the agony of giving birth. And I told you that she was giving birth to Jesus, birth to the Christ, the Messiah. Perhaps you wondered at that interpretation, but here's why we would say that. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. 
but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, I don't think there's anyone else in Scripture that fulfills that description besides Jesus. It says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so, really, I think we're seeing here the bookends of Jesus' ministry, that he was birthed, but also that he will rule all nations with a rod of iron, as is coming in the life of Christ. One day he will rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his throne, speaking of the ascension of Christ. And the woman, verse 6, fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So again, that number of days. We saw it mentioned in chapter 11. I think we're getting now the second 1,260 days, or the second three-and-a-half-year period of time. In the first three-and-a-half years, it appears to me at least that the two witnesses will prophesy. And in the second three-and-a-half years, the nation of Israel will experience... uh, supernatural protection by God. She flees to a place in the wilderness prepared by God where she is nourished for three and a half years of time. Just the protection, the hand of God upon the nation of Israel, his divine grace and protection upon them. Now again, this is the heavenly perspective. It says in verse 7, it says, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And so, I think so many of the things that will be happening on earth during that time, during the great tribulation, the greatest portion of the tribulation, the three and a half year period of time, so many of those elements will be seen on earth in one sense, but they're actually a result of the war that arises in heaven between Michael and his angels fighting the dragon and his angels. But, verse 8, he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. He is driven from heaven, and and, uh, at this point in time, it appears that Satan actually is allowed in the throne room of God. You read of that in Job chapter 1. The day came when the sons of God, the angels, gave an account of themselves, presented themselves to the Lord, and Satan was there. He was present. But at this point, at this mark, at the three and a half year mark, I believe, of the tribulation, Satan will be banished fully from heaven. And his uh, execution, so to speak, that his head is crushed has been gradual. First, he was removed from heaven. Here, he is going to be restricted from heaven. In Revelation 20, we'll see him restrained in the bottomless pit, and in chapter 20, verse 10 of Revelation, he will be punished eternally and banished to the lake of fire. And so he is literally the walking dead, and his execution is definitely here in stages. It says in verse 9 that the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. This is what Satan does. If you've ever looked at someone and wondered, how could they be so blind? Why can they not see? 
It is Satan behind all of that who is deceiving the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, verse 9, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven. So now we have this voice in heaven. We've seen these signs in heaven of the woman indicating Israel, the birth of her child indicating Jesus Christ, the red dragon persecuting Israel because of Jesus Christ. We've seen now a war in heaven, the spiritual battle that takes place during this great tribulation. But now we hear this voice in heaven, which is so encouraging. He says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And so the first element or the first thing this loud voice speaks about is simply that the accuser of the brothers, Satan, has been judged. And of course, we see all throughout the Bible that Satan is presented as the accuser of the brethren. He said of Job in Job chapter 1 and 2, he told God that, well, Job only serves you because you bless him. He accused Job. Uh, Satan had no followers like Job. Every one of his followers followed him because of the things that he was able to do for them. But Job simply followed God because God was glorious and worthy of being worshipped. Satan also accused Joshua, the high priest, in Zechariah chapter 3, before God took away his dirty garments and clothed him with pure and spotless linen. And so Satan loves to accuse us. Uh, the, the Satan loves to accuse you. He loves to Put some kind of guilt inside of your heart and inside of your life. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that because of the gospel, because of the cross of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. And listen, there will be moments, of course, of conviction within our hearts. We are God's children. Just as I, when I rebuke my, my children, when I correct my children, there's conviction, and, and conviction from God is always very specific. It's pointed. I know exactly what's going on and what God desires for my life. I repent, and I allow him, by his grace and mercy, to strengthen me in that particular area that I've been convicted in. Condemnation, on the other hand, the accusations of the wicked one, are totally vague, nebulous, yeah, we just feel a sense of guilt and unworthiness, and it has absolutely nothing to do with anything specific. But we forget the love of God, we forget the blood of Christ, and Satan simply accuses our hearts. Listen, reject that condemnation, that vague sense that something is wrong, and that there's guilt there, and receive the conviction of God, but receive the grace and mercy of God as well. And they rejoice because this accuser has been thrown down. Verse 11, they continue to rejoice and say, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Notice these saints, they, they rejoice and they say, they have conquered by the blood of the lamb of 
the Lamb. There's actual real victory that comes through the blood of Jesus. I mean, part of that victory comes because the blood demonstrates for me that I have, Ephesians 1-7, the forgiveness of sins. But also I overcome by the blood because the blood shows me that I'm victorious in Jesus. That he always leads me in triumph, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The blood also shows me that I'm loved by God because God, Romans 5, 8, demonstrates his own love toward me in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. He shed his blood for me. And so the blood shows and demonstrates that I am a loved person, much like when I was in junior high school and when girls would have their birthdays, they would buy for each other these big bouquets of helium balloons. Why? So that everybody could see it was almost a broadcasted message. I'm loved. It's my birthday and I have friends. The blood of Jesus shows me that I am loved. It shows me that I'm purchased, that I've been redeemed, bought with the precious blood of Christ. First Peter 1 verse 18 and 19. And the blood shows me that I am called to live a pure life because the price was huge. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Hebrews 9 verse 22. And so I overcome in life by the blood of the Lamb. And he says there, for they loved not their lives even to the death. They laid down their lives for the Lord. Therefore rejoice, verse 12, O heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Like a, like a wounded, cornered animal, Satan will ferociously fight during these last days. Now after that, when the dragon saw, verse 13, that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. This speaks of persecution of Israel during this particular era during the great tribulation he will turn his attention and turn his fury towards the angel during these last three and a half years i believe this will begin with the abomination of desolation when the antichrist demands to be worshiped as god and this is why jesus told those in judea and on the housetop and on the sabbath to flee at this moment but the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half time, three and a half years of protection. And so just as God bore Israel on eagle's wings and delivered them from Egypt, so he will do it again in the future. Perhaps to modern day Jordan, the great rock city of Petra, we don't know, but we do know that the Lord will protect his people during this time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Perhaps literal, perhaps symbolic. It's often the word flood often used to describe the wrath that would come. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman 
and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So uh, time keeps me from commenting on this more fully. But during that three and a half year period, Satan will wage great war upon the nation of Israel and her descendants. And so stand with the Lord and stand by the blood of the Lamb. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.